This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. Hi, my name is Dr. Lou Diaz, pastor of Butte Bible Fellowship located at 2255 Pillsbury Road in Chico. And I'm providing inspirational teaching for you from God's Word each week. Listen to my weekly radio program, Encouraging Words with Dr. Lou Diaz, at 10 a.m. on Saturday or 10 a.m. on Sunday. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. We are in a series about biblical Egypt. And today's message is about Israel's enslavement and exodus. In Genesis chapter 15, verses 13 and 14, the Lord God told Abram before it happened that his descendants would be enslaved in Egypt. We read this in Genesis 15, verses 13 and 14. It says, and this is the Lord speaking to Abram, saying, then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions." Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for how you have worked in and through history to accomplish your wonderful purposes. Thank you that we know you exist because the very words you have spoken in advance have come true. And we praise you, Father, that you are working all of history towards the climax of Jesus Christ, sitting on the throne, reigning forever, King of kings and Lord of lords. Speak to us as we look at your word together. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, as you know, I took a trip to Egypt, along with Shirley, and um, besides riding a camel and uh, seeing the Sphinx and the pyramids of Giza and Cairo and going down the Nile River and seeing many tombs and temples, uh, I learned a lot about Egypt and it prompted me to study the scriptures because there are 700 verses in the Bible that talk about Egypt. Egypt is more prominent than we realize in the Bible. And one of those key passages here in Genesis 15, 13 to 14, where the Lord speaks to Abraham, he's saying to him in advance that his descendants would be for 400 years strangers in a country not their own, and they would be enslaved and mistreated there. He'll punish the nation and he will deliver them, and they'll have great possessions. And this is exactly what happened. 
And God fulfilled his word completely. Now, I'd love for you to turn with me to Acts chapter 7. When you turn to Acts chapter 7, you see Stephen. Shirley and I were in line for the Alice in Wonderland ride at Disneyland. It was so long. You say, how long was it? The line was so long that pregnant Shirley and I were thinking of names for our kids. So we started with the letter A, and we came up with the name Stephen for our, if we had a boy. The line was so long, we started with A and came up with Laura, should we have a girl? God in his providence blessed us with a girl, Laura, and a boy, Stephen. And we do spell it with a PH because he's named after this Stephen in Acts chapter 7. Let's read because what I want you to see is here Stephen is put on the spot. Can you give a defense for your faith in Jesus the Messiah? And he gives a biblical history. And what I want you to see is Egypt is prominent in Stephen's testimony. If you were to underline every time Egypt appears in Acts 7, it is numerous. This is what he said, verse 2. Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The, glory, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. After the death of his father, God sent him to this land where you're now living. He gave him no inheritance here, not even enough ground to set his foot on. But God promised him that he and his descendants after him would possess the land, even though at that time Abraham had no child. Verse 6 and 7 speaks of the verse we're looking at right now. God spoke to him, Abraham, in this way. 400 years, for 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, God said, and afterward they will come out of that country and worship me in this place. Then he gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision, and Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him eight days after his birth. Later, Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob became the father of the twelve patriarchs. Because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, they sold him as a slave into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him from all his troubles. He gave Joseph wisdom and enabled him to gain the goodwill of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So Pharaoh made him ruler over Egypt and all his palace. Then a famine struck all Egypt and Canaan, bringing great suffering, and our ancestors could not find food. When Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent our forefathers on their first visit. On their second visit, Joseph told his brothers who he was, and Pharaoh learned about Joseph, Joseph's uh, family. After this, Joseph sent for his father, Jacob, and his whole family, 75 in all. 
Then Jacob went down to Egypt where he and our ancestors died. Their bodies were brought back to Shechem and placed in the tomb that Abraham had bought from the sons of Hamor at Shechem for a certain sum of money. As time drew near for God to fulfill his promises to Abraham, the number of our people in Egypt had greatly increased. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. He dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our ancestors by forcing them to throw out their newborn babies so that they would die. At that time, Moses was born, and he was no ordinary child. For three months, he was cared for by his family. When he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian, so he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. The next day, Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting. He tried to reconcile them by saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you want to hurt each other? But the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? Then Moses heard this and he fled to Midian where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. Now I'm going to stop there, but I want you to know that even in that short section, we saw, well, let's go to verse 34. I have indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and come down to set them free. Now come, I will send you back to Egypt. This is the Lord speaking to Moses. This is the same Moses they had rejected with the words, who made you ruler and judge? He was sent to be their ruler and deliverer by God himself through the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He led them out of Egypt and performed wonders and signs in Egypt at the Red Sea and for 40 years in the wilderness. This is the Moses who told the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your own people. He was in the assembly in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our ancestors and received living words to pass on to us. But our ancestors refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. I'm going to stop there. So in Stephen's defense before the high priest and others, he is saying that God was faithful in history to fulfill the very words he spoke to Abraham and that God also promised that a prophet would rise up referring to Jesus, Yeshua, the Messiah. And eventually, because of his testimony, speaking to the Jewish leadership, saying, but you have hardened your hearts like your ancestors. They were so angry at him, they picked up stones to kill him. And they laid a banner at Paul, Saul's feet. And that banner was raised to have him stoned and he looked up to heaven and saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God the Father. But do you notice that the tendency of the people was to turn their hearts back to Egypt? What does Egypt represent, as I taught you last week? 
it represents the world. Egypt represents the world. Now we're going to find some interesting things here. First of all, we talked about Abraham in Egypt. In Genesis 12, 10 to 13, 1, instead of seeking deliverance from God, he sought deliverance from Egypt when there was a time of famine. And he compromised by having his, sis, his wife Sarah say that she was his sister. And even though she was his half-sister, it was a compromise that put her in great jeopardy because Pharaoh could have taken her physically when he had taken her into his harem. So we're not to compromise by going to the world. We're to trust in the Lord. Because he compromised, Sarah had a, an Egyptian handmaiden. Did you know that? That Hagar is Egyptian. Did you know that while Sarah and Abraham were waiting for the promised child of Isaac to come, that they decided to help God by Sarah giving Hagar to Abraham and born of Hagar, the Egyptian, was Ishmael. Did you know that? That Hagar was Egyptian. I think we're realizing and appreciating that Egypt plays into biblical history much, in a much greater way than we realized. Now let's talk about Joseph in Egypt. You know the story. The brothers were jealous of Joseph because his father gave him a multicolored coat of many colors. And they said, we're going to throw him into a pit. And then they sold him to some traveling Midianites. And the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. So here's Joseph, one of the patriarchs, the 12 sons of Jacob, the sons of Israel, and he's sold to someone in Pharaoh's court. That's what brings him to Egypt. Now, Joseph eventually says to his brothers, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve you, for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of Egypt. Now, our tour guide said something very interesting. After Joseph interpreted Pharaoh's dream, Pharaoh said, is there anyone wiser than Joseph who should take over the nation? And what, the way we read this is, of course there's no one wiser than Joseph. He should be in charge. The tour guide said, no. He was saying, please, I can't appoint a non-Egyptian in charge of everything is there anybody else that's more qualified than Joseph? But because there wasn't, he had to make Joseph an Egyptian. 
So he gave Joseph an Egyptian name, an Egyptian wife to have kids. And the influence of Joseph was phenomenal. Now what we find in Egyptian history is that there's a man by the name of Imhotep. Imhotep is credited for saving Egypt from a seven-year famine. Isn't that interesting? Now, I'm not going to get into all of the ins and outs about him, but all to say that Joseph made such an impact in Egypt that when we were on tour, the tour guide showed us hieroglyphics, and there was the king, and the king had in his hand staffs, different kinds of staffs that represented different things. One represented he's the pharaoh who has all power. One was that he had life. But another one, he said, came because of Joseph. When Joseph's family settled in Egypt, they said, we're shepherds. And he liked that concept so much, he has a symbol of a shepherd's staff in his hand. That's the influence of Joseph in Egypt. He saved Egypt from a famine. He saved the whole area from a famine because God showed him. And you remember the famous words of Joseph to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Genesis 50, verse 20. Joseph had already forgiven his brothers in his heart, he saw the sovereign hand of God in history. He was used instrumentally by God so that all these lives were saved and there was a greater purpose. The greater purpose and what Egypt represents is that like Stephen, he said when they went to Egypt, there were 75 souls. That's Jacob, his 12 sons, and all of their kids were 75 souls. So Egypt represents the transition from a family into a nation. They became several million in Egypt. And there was a pharaoh who did not know Joseph, didn't remember Joseph saved Egypt from famine, and he enslaved the Egyptians. So here's an interesting question. Are pyramids mentioned in the Bible? In Genesis 10, verse 6, we have where the word mezarim, and that represents Egypt. He was a son of Ham, brother of Canaan, put and Cush. And in Genesis 11, 1 to 9, we have the Tower of Babel. What was the Tower of Babel? It was a ziggurat. That means it was a tall tower that was pyramid-like in form. So you have the descendants of Ham as the first settlers in Egypt, and they came from the area of the Tower of Babel. Now, the Hebrew word for tower is migdal, and it can refer to a pyramid or an obelisk. So pyramids are indirectly mentioned in the Bible. 
but they are definitely mentioned in Jewish history by the Jewish historian Josephus, which we'll see in a moment. So did the enslaved Israelites build the pyramids? Exodus 5, 10 to 14, you remember that the Israelites were forced to make mud bricks. Now the way they would make the pyramids would be to make mud bricks and to make the structure and then have um, placed on top of it as the face granite. So the granite that was uh, uh, taken from Aswan, which is way down in the south, would be floated up the Nile River and then it would be placed over the mud brick so it had a nice outside finish. Now you also remember in Exodus 5-7 that the Pharaoh was so mad at the Israelites that he made them um, find their own straw to make bricks. Now here's where the Jewish historian Josephus says they, referring to Egyptian taskmasters, set them also to build pyramids. So the answer is yes, the enslaved Israelites were part of the building process of pyramids. So now we go from Abraham in Egypt to Joseph in Egypt to Moses in Egypt. And I love this because as we were cruising down the Nile River, guess what I saw along the shore? Bulrushes. You know what bulrushes are? Back where I grew up in the east coast, uh, we called them cottontails. And so they're these tall stalks with uh, nice heads, and they're called bulrushes. Well, Moses' mother put baby Moses in a basket with pitch or tar to waterproof it and put it in the water by the bulrushes where Pharaoh's daughter saw the baby and said, I want to adopt this baby and had Moses' sister, Miriam, take him to his mother to wean the child before he was raised in Pharaoh's household and learned all the things about Egypt. And you remember, as I just read to you from Stephen's speech, that Moses took uh, things in his own hands and thought he would deliver Israel with his own strength by murdering this Egyptian taskmaster, and that's not God's way. And in Exodus 9-1, after he had an experience with God in the burning bush, he went and told Pharaoh, let my people go. Right there, you picture Charlton Heston saying, let my people go. And of course, Pharaoh kept hardening his heart after every one of the ten plagues. Did you know that the ten plagues were directly in opposition to the gods of Egypt? Every time there was a plague, it was addressing one of the gods of Egypt to show how those gods were not true gods. They were impotent, and the only true god is the maker of the heavens and the earth. So the water turning to blood, the frogs, the lice, the flies, the livestock, pestilence, 
the boils, the hail, the locusts, the darkness, and the killing of the firstborn children were all to show that God, the God of the Bible, is the God of Israel, is true, the true God. Now here's an important question. What happened to the Exodus Pharaoh? Exodus 14.6 says that Pharaoh was leading his army when they were chasing after the Israelites uh, when the Red Sea parted, and then when the Red Sea closed, who drowned? Pharaoh and the whole army. And interestingly enough, there's no burial place or mummy found for the 13th dynasty Pharaoh, Neferhotep I. What is the significance of the Exodus? Deuteronomy 4.20 says this, But as for you, the Lord took you and brought you out of the iron-smelting furnace, out of Egypt, to be the people of his inheritance as you now are. So the purpose of Egypt was to go from 75 souls to become a nation. And that nation, chosen by God, through the trials of being enslaved, became known as the inheritance of God, the people of his inheritance. Now, why is this important for you and for me? It's because that last plague was where they were to, the Israelites were to put blood on the doorposts so that the spirit of destruction would pass over any house that had blood on the doorpost so their firstborn would not be killed. And Jesus is our Passover. By trusting in him, our, his blood is placed on us and we are forgiven and we will not experience destruction. We will be passed over. We will not experience eternal death because we're under the blood of Christ. Jesus is our Passover lamb, and we are the people of God's inheritance. And God does not want us to go back to Egypt. He does not want us to go back to bondage, back to slavery, back to uh, captivity. He wants us to walk in freedom, to serve one another in love and to be a witness for him, making disciples of all nations that people may trust in the Lord and follow him. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are moved by this history we have just gone through. Number one, we realize you're the God of history and that you're working all things according to your purposes and your will. And we worship you. We also recognize that you hear the pain, the struggle, the suffering of your people. And you raise up a deliverer, just like you raised up Joseph and just as you raised up Moses. Lord, thank you for raising up Jesus who gave his sinless life as a sacrifice in our place so that our sins could be forgiven by his shed blood.
Thank you for Jesus, Yeshua, who is Messiah, Savior, and Lord. We trust in you, Jesus. Lord Jesus, you are our Savior. You are our King. And we pray your kingdom come and your will be done. We look forward to you being King of kings and Lord of lords, reigning forever. And Lord, help us to resist the temptations of this world. The temptations of this world are transitory and they're dissatisfying. We pray that we may do your will, which is eternal and fully satisfactory. Lord, we want to follow you and to serve you and obey you. Thank you for delivering us from bondage, from delivering us from slavery to sin. Thank you that we are your children and we can say, Abba, Father, to you. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you need encouragement? I want to share my spiritual gift of encouragement with you. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. Call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521 to find out how you can connect with our weekly worship services and faith-building messages from God's Word.